Clayton, thank you so much for joining us today on stage to talk a little bit about what's going on with these broker failures and how carriers can kind of navigate um, this this current market that we're in. Thanks for having me. So we've been seeing an unusual number of broker failures during this uh, freight downturn. And one thing that's not typically mentioned is how what happens if you're a carrier that happens to be working with one of those brokers. That's something that um, you guys have been looking into at OTR Solutions. So walk us through what happens if you're a carrier and your broker goes bankrupt or just goes out of business. Yeah, I mean, the short answer is traditionally, you know, payments to carriers stop almost immediately. Um, and then it's it's a battle to kind of try and figure out a way to to get paid if you're a carrier. I think it's it's important to understand how unique the situation is that we're in right now. Um, yeah, I've been at OTR for eleven years or so, and and certainly the at least from what we're seeing, the most stressed our kind of freight broker customers have seen. Um, and I think a lot of that is due to the dynamics of what the freight market has, how, how it shifted over the last couple of years where you've had unprecedented investment um, from a capital side, but you've also had unprecedented investment from a, a management team perspective into technologies and human resources to scale up um, and grow market share over the course of the last couple of years. Um, that dynamic now, if you're still operating under those types of cost assumptions and you're still investing at that same level, that moves you into an unprofitable tech territory, um, we see that it puts a ton of stress because you can't go to venture markets and private equity markets like you could a year or two years or three years ago. Um, and so I think what's, what's really important to understand is the only source of liquidity or one of the only is, or the two, profitability in the business, if you're funding your business with cash flow that you're generating, um, or borrowing from some sort of some sort of ABL type facility, um, and the dynamics of how that works related to um, carriers is is interesting and unique to the environment we're in right now. Yeah, so basically, these, it's it's more challenging to actually be borrowing from those those uh, lenders, and at the same time, carriers are not really don't really have the same amount of work and and freight that they're moving. So it's definitely a stressful pressure for those brokers. Yeah, it's just if you think about a situation where a broker goes bankrupt or, or, or fails and you have a $1,000 tin to the shipper, 850 of it is, is carrier allocated, let's just say healthy 15% margin. Um, an, an ABL would typically lend, let's say, 800 bucks. $850 of that obviously is allocated toward the carrier funding. So when that, that broker goes bankrupt and has used the $800 to fund their operational deficits, because of the environment we're in, margin per load has is, is never been lower. Um, when we talk to brokers and cost per load ballooned over the course of COVID. Um, and so in that situation, you effectively have $1,650 for a $1,000 piece of collateral, mm. which leads to someone losing, either the carrier or the lender, um, depending on, and those things are very fluid. Like I said, it's, it's unique and we're, it's the first time we're really seeing this happening on on a broader scale than one-offs. Um, and so I think the industry conversation about how those facilities are structured and how they impact the ability for carriers to ultimately get paid um, for the work that they're doing is, is what we're, we're excited to talk about. Yeah, it seems like as well, when we talked a few weeks ago that you mentioned there's not really like a legal precedent for where carriers 
get sorted in with these bankruptcy filings. They could yep. be. You, you mentioned this kind of idea that they might be like a strategic lender or a, a, a foundational lender or a partner. Better. How does that vendor, not lender? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so how is that sorting out? Where are we seeing carriers kind of get categorized during these uh, bankruptcy filings? Yeah, and it is being sorted out as we speak. Um, when you think about other brokerage models, whether it's real estate brokers or even ticket brokers, if you're buying from Ticketmaster or StubHub, the assumption obviously is if I'm the seller and entrusting you to sell my asset to a broader market of buyers, um, I'm assuming and, and you're agreeing to be a good steward of the funds that you receive during that transaction. Um, and so this fiduciary responsibility of funds being passed through what is in effect an intermediary um, is really, really important and something that is coming up in conversations as these brokers fail. Um, but traditionally, in a non-bankruptcy situation, carrier's recourse flows through to the ultimate shipper of the freight, right? Especially if they haven't paid the broker, the recourse for the carriers to go and say, hey, this broker went bankrupt or went out of business. Um, you know, if you haven't paid them yet, pay me because I'm the, I'm the carrier that actually, what I'm owed, right? They're not trying to collect broker margin. Um, but that is traditional recourse. And I think that is the aspect where, especially in chapter 11, restructuring of, of a freight broker or reorganizing a freight broker um, in bankruptcy proceedings is that precedent is effectively being challenged to say, actually, we want to continue to collect from, from our shipper customers. And now we're assuming that the entire thousand bucks was effectively bottom line revenue to our business that we can use to plug operational mm. um, cash flow gaps to then reorganize and bring our business back to life. Mm. That is extraordinarily rare. I, I can't remember any freight broker really um, filing chapter 11 because generally speaking, if you're contingent, if you're sitting in the middle of a marketplace and you're contingent on providing service to and paying both sides of that marketplace and you fail to do that, it's such a fluid market that generally people just go elsewhere, mm -hmm. right? If you've, if you've established the fact that you're going to wipe your pre-petition bankruptcy debt, which effectively is all your carrier payables, and then reorganize with that money, start again, and then continue to tender freight to carriers, I'm not exactly sure how, how the marketplace would find that as an equitable outcome. Um, so generally, we've seen Chapter 7, um, which just means a full liquidation. And then it's, you still run into a similar situation where you have lenders and carriers going after the same money because they've effectively taken a short-term liability and used it as collateral to, to advance funds to these brokers. So in these cases where carriers might actually still be get struggled to actually get paid, are the, are the shippers still paying for that load that was moved or... In a bankruptcy where, situation? Yeah, like where does the money go if it's not going to the carrier? Is that just something that kind of keeps the broker afloat during that, that Yeah, so I mean, filing? in Chapter 11, it's in the act of Chapter 11, it's flowing into the bankruptcy proceedings. Mm -hmm. And in a reorganization, those funds are used to try and rehabilitate the Chapter 11 party. So they're effectively saying all of that tender amount, all the $1,000 is revenue for me that I can now use to reorganize my business, get myself in a better shape financially, and continue to be a go-forward concern in the industry or go-forward entity. Um, chapter seven, you would effectively have, and like I said, those are unfolding as we speak, um, but you would effectively have carriers trying to collect from shippers and also lenders who have collateralized those carrier payments to advance funds to brokers 
going after the same pot of money. So in practice, where, where are we seeing our carriers getting paid? Are they just, you know, kind of screwed out of whatever they, they, they made? Um, they're certainly not getting paid in short order. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of these are relatively recent and I would say, and I know, you know, we've, we've seen some news that people intend to pay carriers and think to have the liquidity to pay carriers, which is, which is great if that's the case. Um, but I would imagine there are going to be significant legal battles and conversations. And I think industry conversations about how these are structured, because as those unfold, you're going to have arguments from both sides. So no, carriers are not being paid currently. I think shippers are in a really precarious position as well, because Mm -hmm. they're now caught up with a partner of theirs who's gone bankrupt and leaves them in a position where they're unsure of how to handle those payments. Right? Should they be continuing to pay into the broker's bankruptcy proceedings, or should they be following industry precedent, which effectively says the carrier should be paid? Hmm. And so we actually have shipper customers, shippers reaching out to us saying, hey, guys, can we get a little visibility into the broker marketplace so we can protect ourselves? And I think that is a very unique position for shippers to be in as well. Both the carrier marketplace as well as the shipper marketplace wants to make sure that they're aligning themselves with good partners. Mm -hmm. And you've seen record numbers of new entrants from a broker perspective over the last several years, as I said, fed by the fever in the marketplace. And, you know, there was kind of talk of a a perfect storm, which put um, a broker or some brokers out of business. And I think alternatively, you could make the argument that there was a perfect storm for brokers to to raise at the rate that they were raising over the course of the Mm -hmm. last several years. Um, when COVID and rates were as high as they'd ever been, when margin per load was as high as it's ever been, um, you could justify making these extraordinarily um, impactful investments in technology. But if you don't take a look at where we are in the marketplace currently, and if you haven't proved that you can either expand margin or reduce costs sufficient enough, then this adjusted earnings, which is how a lot of these brokers were borrowing, which strips out these technology investments. Mm -hmm. But cash is still cash. And so in a cash flow world, if you can't go to these venture or private equity groups, you have to fund that cash shortage somehow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So if I'm a shipper, I'm working with a broker, um, that broker is filed for bankruptcy, but they still have some sort of like go forward business plan. Is it in my interest just to like say no? I'm like, I'm not working with you anymore. I mean, obviously that would, you know, ca- kind of cause a death spiral, I imagine, for that broker. What's what's the situation if you're a shipper and you're like, well, I like this carrier, I like working with them, but I can't keep working through this broker because I don't know what their status is. I don't know if they're actually paying the carrier. Yeah, I mean, it's a tough decision. I think people are, are going to have to make those decisions. I I don't think I'm in a position to give legal <laughs> advice as, as far as what they should do. Um, I mean, from my perspective, there are probably a lot of a lot of really great options that are in better positions. So I think you have people reevaluating those options to try and align themselves with people who are financially stable and in a position to be a long-term partner. I don't think anybody wants to align themselves with, with, with someone across the supply chain that they feel like is a concern um, because they don't want to have to then go not only reevaluate and find new partners, but wade into waters that are really uncertain mm-hmm. because they're asking themselves those questions. And, and I think the purpose is while that ha- that, is, that is happening in, in kind of the legal realm, it's also important to have this conversation in industry 
to establish what we feel like is is an equitable and appropriate outcome. I guess going forward during the next inevitable downturn, what the what is this? Yeah, the the next the blood path three or four or what have you. I mean, do we? Do you kind of foresee that there's going to be another buildup of brokers during this next, whatever the next inevitable upturn is, and kind of just, are we going to keep seeing these sort of cycles where brokers flood the industry, then they all exit the industry, and this this kind of cycle continuing on? I don't know. I mean, we're not expecting the entire market by any means to fold. I think you'll see brokers that have put themselves in a position um, from an operational and cash flow perspective and a profitability perspective. And, that, and the ones that have made hard decisions over the course of the last 12 months, either cutting headcount or cutting, cutting technology spend, because it's very difficult to grow through this type of market. Mm-hmm. Because the more that you're putting on top-line revenue, if you're unprofitable, the more your losses accumulate. And so I think you've seen the brokers that have made those types of decisions will be in a much better go-forward position. I think you certainly have seen the number of new entrants from a brokerage perspective entering reduce when the market picks up, I'm sure people will take advantage of the opportunity and, and jump into the fray. And one last question before uh, we wrap up here. The brokers that are leaving the industry, the ones that did you know, maybe enter in the last few years and then exit again, do we have a sense of their size? Are these, I mean, obviously we haven't seen any of the massive public um, brokers that make those top 10 lists, but what's, what's kind of the size of these brokers that are, that are exiting? I think it kind of covers the gamut. Um, certainly some, some hundred million dollar brokers and, and $500 million brokers that, um, have put themselves in a, in a tough position. Um, those are the guys that are going to obviously have the biggest impact should they go bankrupt. Uh, but anybody who has been investing heavily in, on the cost side, um, and hasn't made adjustments to that over the course of the last 12 months, I think, um, is going to be in a tough spot. Clayton, thank you so much. Thanks.